episode 157 of the A News Podcast, which covers anarchist activity, ideas, and conversations from the previous week on Anarchist News. It's designed to be useful to anarchists and the anarcho-curious. Give us feedback and constructive criticism by email at podcast at anarchistnews.org. For more information and usually some good commentary, see you at your favorite non-sectarian anarchist site, anarchistnews.org. What's new this week? What the fuck is new with Little Black Cart from Little Black Cart? A post-Aragorn check-in on the project's current situation and future intentions introduces the possibility of a residency program, which seems interesting. Anyone know about what makes a good residency program? Weigh in in the comments. There's also some vague language about upcoming books that attempts to walk the line between giving enough information to be interesting without boxing the project in, in case authors fall through. Not that I would know or anything. Coronavirus and the myth of institutional failure from It's Going Down. Although I'm loath to say it, this is semi-almost decent content from IGD that takes a more or less nuanced look at people's immediate reactions to the current pandemic. Quote, as is often pointed out, crises of this nature bring into focus the priorities of the system which is experiencing it, magnifying its fault lines and absurdities, as well as forcing a reckoning with how it has instantiated its values within the psyches of those subjected to its domination. An in-depth recitation of those priorities is unnecessary here, but in brief, in the United States, it can be seen in a variety of examples. There is the obsessive concern over the economy, and in particular, that false barometer of its health, the stock market. There is the notion that closing those quaint colonial constructs known as borders, only to people, of course, not trade or capital, will keep a virus out that is already in. There is the fragility of the entire supply chain of neoliberal globalization, unquote. The flipping of one's understanding is often a positive, so I'm definitely pro-challenging the idea that society's goal is anyone's health and happiness. Yet, as with the discussion around AI, most who invoke systems miss the fact that systems are made of people who create and are in many ways created by that system. And so it's never just an autonomous system that looks after itself and not people, nor is it that people are trying to maintain a status quo that they see as beneficial with institutional tools, but that both and many more are happening at once, and all of it is pretty bad. Jeremy Hammond released from contempt for resisting EDVA grand jury from its going down. This is good news, obviously, although it just means that he goes back to serving his actual sentence since the grand jury he was supposed to testify at is over. Hammond remains one of anarchists' most stalwart prisoners. Quote, We know that many of you want to know when Jeremy will ultimately be freed, and sadly we do not have an answer for you. When he was pulled from FCI Memphis, he was removed from the residential drug treatment program that, had he been allowed to complete it, would have secured his release to a halfway house on 12th of December 2019. By not allowing him to complete the program, the good time he would have been credited with for completing the program was taken away. It is yet another injustice of this grand jury. The government knew that Jeremy would never be willing to cooperate with the state. His incarceration has only deepened his commitment to his anarchist ideals and his belief in total prison abolition. Despite this, they brought him to Virginia anyway, incarcerating him there for three months past his projected release date and adding a minimum of eight additional months to his sentence. Once he returns to the Bureau of Prisons, they will recalculate his release date." Unquote. Crisis and Control, from Territories, aka Inhabit, the newest of that set of commies that likes to sniff around the anarchist scene. This is a pretty brief complaint about the government's response to emergencies, which is to shut everything down. It ends with a set of links. Quote, As a counterpoint to global paralysis and despair, this month's issue of Territories features two clear-sighted accounts of those getting organized against the end of the world. First, we have a reflection on the ongoing blockades in Canada from Francis Nguyen, extending the call to shut the system down and halt the destruction of colonization and extraction. 
Next, we feature an overview of DeepMay, one of the most exciting projects about technology happening anywhere today, a collaborative experiment in severing tech from the paradigm of governance. We're also pleased to share a newly translated analysis of the coronavirus situation from Frederic Neyrat. And for more on the pandemic, check out the reading list we compiled at the end of this issue, unquote. Them commies, they have all the answers. We should just do what they say. C4SS, the four-day work week, is ripe for the picking from C4SS. A bit of the history behind the eight-hour slash five-day work week that we all know and more or less take for granted in the argument for being a bit more free with a four-day work week, which is, quote, in no way a radical proposal. It is still four days too many. Just to give some numbers, productivity since 1970 has doubled and real wages have remained nearly flat. The cost of intellectual property represents 38% of the GDP. One out of every four renters pay more than 50% of their income on rent. And even the privileged middle class pays 27%. In other words, of every 10 hours of work, four go to intellectual property costs, which could be free without a government enforced monopoly, and three to five hours go to landlords. And this is without measuring the overhead costs of management and bosses who should not even exist under worker self-management. The real limits of the work week when all the cruft is removed is something extremely distant from 30 hours and closer to 10 hours a week. We could even entertain the possibility of a post-work society, not as a utopia, but as a reality on the horizon for the next generation, unquote. Unlike so many of this week's articles, this doesn't mention the pandemic, COVID, or coronavirus, which, you know, makes it behind the times. What it means to me. From SupportEricKing.org, a poem from Eric. Poetry seems to be the sub-thread this week, as people lose their rational minds, or maybe lose the idea that rationality has anything to do with what's going on, or what's needed. Yes, I am making a binary with fiction and poetry on one side, and rationality and expository writing on the other. Is it a lie? Absolutely. Duh. Eric's address is included. Write him. Surviving the Virus, an anarchist guide from CrimeThink which encourages us to A, form an affinity group, B, form a network, C, go on rent strike, D, go on work and transit strike, E, go on prison revolt. In other words, more or less do what crime think always thinks you should do. But now, while the iron is hot, get it while it's hot. We have a drum. Listen to us beat that drum really hard and consistently. Do it now. It's going down. It's terrifying. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Anti-Social Anarchy, a short response to a Sonia Calabrese's Against Individualism. From Manon by Warzone Distro. Not sure why Warzone thinks that a Sonia is a he, and really not sure why this piece full of jargon is an engaging response to the jargon of a Sonia's piece. All I really want to do here is revisit that wonderful icon of argumentation, Fulterine Declare, who, for example, in her excellent essay, They Who Marry Do Ill, takes the best argumentation of those she is arguing against and refutes that, rather than wasting her time or talking down to her readers by addressing what is idiosyncratic, illogical, unrealistic, etc. in those same arguments. If the real goal of writing is always to make ourselves and our readers smarter and more capable, Fulterine is the example to follow. Learn from the best, not from the internet. And try not to be distracted by pithy, inaccurate comments that are only useful to the extent that they're funny. If they're funny. Which usually, they aren't. Oh geez, moving on. What the Virus Said. From Lundi Matin, this is a charming piece from the voice of a virus that is, as a side effect, potentially saving the lives of far more creatures than it's harming. Quote, one doesn't need to be a subject to make use of a memory and a strategy. One doesn't need to be a sovereign to decide. Bacteria and viruses can also call the shots. See me, therefore, as your savior instead of your gravedigger. 
You're free not to believe me, but I have come to shut down the machine whose emergency brake you couldn't find. I have come in order to suspend the operation that held you hostage. I have come in order to demonstrate the aberration that normality constitutes. Delegating to others our nutrition, our protection, our ability to care for our way of life was a madness. There is no budgetary limit. Health has no price. See how I redirect the language and spirit of your governing authorities? See how I bring them down for you to their real standing as miserable racketeers and arrogant to boot? See how they suddenly denounce themselves, not just as being superfluous, but as being harmful. For them, you're nothing but supports for the reproduction of their system. That is, less than slaves. Unquote. Yep, somebody had to say it. I do blame this piece mostly for the poetry this week, though. Ugh. Fight social distancing for a solidarity-based and militant approach to the virus. From the German site, Barricade. Quote, On the challenges faced by radical, anti-authoritarian, anarchist, feminist, and other circles in dealing with the current pandemic, pandemic is in scare quotes. Despite the plethora of labels as its start and rhetoric throughout, this essay is a valid effort pointing out that social distancing only increases a tendency that capitalism has enforced, relied upon, and profited from, that is, people being more and more atomized, untrusting, and isolated. The essay attempts to be a reality check, giving good information without being afraid to talk about death as a reality rather than as a fate worse than other things. And will be one of many essays to point out that the state's response to emergencies is always, always, always to take more control over everything. I expect I'm going to get very tired of that message, although of course it is worth repeating. This essay ends with encouragement, as does the Crime Think one, to keep doing what arguably we're already doing, self-organization, supporting each other, forming gangs, and building solidarity. Check. Serena's squat threatened with eviction from anarchists worldwide. On the face of it, the story about a squat that is being threatened by extra-legal violence is not yet another story about COVID-19. Quote, we have recently learned that a crew of thugs is being recruited to evict us from our home. This fact was confirmed by a few different sources. The enforcers come from the Warsaw underworld and are being offered a lot of money for the job. Currently, there is no legal action being taken against us in court. We are in effective possession of the building and inhabit it legally. The eviction that is being planned would be illegal and carried out with the preferred method of reprivatization era landlords, that is, sheer violence. Serena was born nine years ago in response to the brutal murder of Joe Labresca, a tenants' rights activist. From the very beginning of our existence, we face the terror of the developer's lobby, and so today we are not afraid and are well prepared. Throughout the years, we confronted hired thugs and far-right militias countless times, and we have always prevailed." Unquote. But under the mask, this is the kind of violence that becomes more and more likely as systems fail and normal citizens are less likely to abide by the rhetoric and rationale of so-called normal. Also, the authors encourage people to spread this information widely as, quote, the owners would love to keep their plans a secret, unquote. Anarchist Lisa's privileges revoked for refusing to renounce her anarchist beliefs. From Anarchist Worldwide, Lisa had some time out of prison, which she will no longer have access to because she didn't deny her beliefs. Her lawyer is appealing the decision. A brief. The worst virus ever. Authority. From Anarchists Worldwide. Apparently, this is a flyer from France. Quote, a virus is a biological phenomenon, but the context in which it originates, its spread, and its management are social issues. In the Amazon, Africa, or Oceania, entire populations have been exterminated by viruses brought by settlers, while the settlers imposed their domination and way of life. In the rainforests, armies, merchants, and missionaries pushed the people who previously occupied the territory in a scattered way to concentrate around schools, in villages, or towns. 
This greatly facilitated the spread of devastating epidemics. Today, half the world's population lives in cities, around the temples of capital, and feeds on the products of agro-industry and intensive livestock farming. Any possibility of self-sufficiency has been eradicated by states and the market economy. And as long as the mega-machine of domination continues to function, human existence will be increasingly subjected to disasters that are not very natural and to a management of them that will deprive us of any possibility of determining our own lives." Unquote. Also, just to note, live as free beings, quote, as did the prisoners in 30 Italian prisons faced with the ban on visiting rooms imposed because of COVID-19 by revolting against their jailers, demolishing and burning their cages, and in some cases, managing to escape, unquote. Violence in the hands of the violated is self-defense from IGD. Look at that, three from IGD this week. Things really are happening. Quote, the following communique comes from a group of anarchist women in Mexico, analyzing the antagonisms within the recent women's mobilizations and arguing for the necessity of self-defense, unquote. The classic defense of property destruction made by anarchist liberals for decades. Sometimes the argument is that property destruction is not violent. Sometimes, as here, the argument is that not all violence is the same. It's unclear if the authors think that arguing for inclusion in mass mobilizations or for the efficacy of property destruction will ever convince anyone, but perhaps, like that inclusion and that activity, the argument is worth doing for its own sake. Turk Cell Tower Torched in Solidarity with Kurdish Women Fighters from Anarchists Worldwide. Super short communique and super short video of activities. Quote, we have set fire to the tower of Turkish mobile phone operator LifeCell slash TurkCell because the company supports Erdogan's violent policy against the anti-authoritarian movement in Kurdistan. On the night of March 8th to the 9th, we sent a fiery hello to all the women fighters in Rojava, Bakur, and Bashur. Hello, YJA star, YPJ, IFB, and other volunteer fighters. Erdogan, a Turkish dictator, damn brother and comrade, must die, unquote. Huh, don't know what damn brother and comrade is referring to, but sounds sarcastic? Insurrection, people. It's what's for dinner. Audio and video. Reflections from Kanonstatan, an hour from From Embers. Interview with, quote, a non-native anarchist who spent time at Kanonstatan in 2006, a land reclamation led by members of six nations blocking the development of a private subdivision on their territory, unquote. Pretty standard white person in a native extraction blockade narrative, bringing up the various ways one can answer a call for assistance in a place you are not from and not necessarily welcome in. I think the best line from this interview comes from the story of a blockade member suggesting civil disobedience and voluntary arrest being shut down through laughter, which the interview acknowledges as being effective, if a little cruel, perhaps not knowing that that is the magic combination. Which we all desperately miss. Margaret Killjoy on Vulgarite and how to live like the world is dying, an hour and 40 minutes from Soulcast. Okay, so something is happening that I'm not very comfortable with, and I'm on the verge of calling it something like Stockholm Syndrome brought about by doing this podcast. But I am slightly, almost kind of starting to enjoy listening to Soulcast, and this episode with Margaret Killjoy is somewhat particularly maybe pleasant. It is marginally about the two titular projects, but really more about being an anarchist in this world, making a living, dealing with work ethics, writing, etc. Again, the more I listen to these two, the more I like them, but to keep my sanity, I also need to criticize, or critique, or whatever. The main criticism being that these two are very corny, which is to say, overly sincere. On the one hand, this can be a positive. They are seemingly genuine people doing their best to make it through a shitty world as anarchists and being honest about that. 
On the other, though, they often end up being way overly serious about themselves and their projects, which I think is almost always the case in things labeled anarchist art. For an example, please see the thumbnail image accompanying this episode of Soul. Topic of the week, play in the time of Corona. Of the human experience, play has a great potential to tell us about ourselves. And as we find each other increasingly quarantined in a world of chaos, what are you playing? Did you ever stop? How are you keeping yourself occupied in this time of societal disruption? What are, you, what are your ideas or plans on how anarchists can continue to play and interact in this time of crisis and increased social isolation and distancing. Any favorite anarchist-ish related games to pass along? A favorite anarchist take or critique on the ideas of play? Game on. Welcome, Anarchy Landers. Greetings from the sequestered and isolated Bay Area as we are on day, what is this now, three, four of our stay home order. I have a very special friend on the phone with me, uh, someone that has never been with us before on the topic of the week. Uh, this is John. Hi, John. Hello, everybody. I've asked John with us here this week because John is a game designer, and John is about to have the same experience I am as Chicago was just put under an order. Was it this evening, John? Yeah, it goes into effect tomorrow morning or maybe this evening, but yes, it was announced just a few hours ago. Wow. Okay. Big things happening in the big cities. Yep. Yep. Um, so before we start, I want to make sure that I say that there is a fantastic essay that exists on this topic. It's called On Play and Games. It's by Alexandra De Acosta. It exists in pamphlet form. You can get it. Gosh, I don't know everywhere. Uh, the Anarchist Library has it. Little Black Card has it. I mean, we're down at the moment, but we'll be up in a couple weeks. Uh, I, I believe it's also part of one of his collections, but I'm not sure which one. I don't remember. Um, anyway, On Play and Games, it's by, uh, again, Ale Alejandro. I said Alexander. Alejandro, who, if you've listened to me ever talk, ever know, is one of my favorite authors. It's a fantastic piece. Um, it brushes up against this. Uh, John, talk to me about games and play. Um, I will, but first I want you to tell me what that essay is about. Because, you know, well, let me say, when you asked me to talk about this, I thought, oh, right, I am a person who could, could talk about this. And I remember we were texting back and forth, and I said, you know, I don't really have a, like, anarchist theory of play and games just at the top of my head. And then I thought about it for, like, literally 10 seconds while writing a text <laughs> message to you. And I was like, actually, I have a lot to say about this. <laughs> I, um, could, I could tell the shift yeah. <laughs> yeah. when we were texting about it, right. where you went from, I don't know, to, oh, my gosh, I have so yeah. many things. Yeah, so I, the subject. so I think it would be uh, helpful just, uh, what's that essay about? Like, what's its one sentence kind of thrust? Maybe that'll help ground us in something. What is its one sentence kind of thrust? Alejandro is so not that kind of writer. Um, sure, okay, okay. <laughs> well, what's its paragraph, paragraph long meander? Um, let me think about it for a second. Give me a second. Okay, okay. Well, well you, you think about that, and I'll just sort of talk a little bit about some of my thoughts I've had over the last day, right? So um, I, I don't, 
I know that we're all kind of in a place where like, do we have to talk about Corona and quarantine at all times? But frankly, I think we are maybe at a point like that. And so um, I was thinking just in the last few hours before we got together about how like, I am experiencing a little bit of like some of the best days of my life <laughs> because I'm, I'm experiencing, I think, a little bit of a moment of sort of a an anarchist utopia the size of my bedroom, I think, is where I am right now. Because, you know, I know that this is an emergency. Lots of people are are in really bad situations. But, like, you know, my work is sort of sorted out. My personal life is sort of sorted out. Yeah, I've got some work to do. But, frankly, what I've done for the last two days is hang out online sharing free resources with some of my best friends. People are having to sort of take a moment, get off the road, be in their house, and think about what can I do that's not work. I was thinking, you know, is play the opposite of work, um, maybe. And so they are taking this moment, reconnecting with friends. I've been reconnecting with friends like crazy over the last few days, both mm-hmm. my family members and other people, right? And we've constantly been like, let's play a game together. Let's do something playful together. Not anything, like not build a project per se, not do some organizing, although that is part of it. Um, but just like sit back and enjoy our company with each other in a way that is possible now and that hasn't been possible before. So anyway, that was sort of a ramble of where my thoughts are just right in this moment about our lives right in the second and what, what it means about play is that I think we, this could be an opportunity to kind of get our talents into play in a new way. End of ramble. (laughs) Interesting. So you're, huh, okay. Which makes me think, which then pokes at my brain and makes me remember that, excuse me, uh, Alejandro, the things that I remember the most are that he posits the notion that anything and everything can and possibly should be a game. Um, And that games are not just something to be played, um, but can uh, both affect and form um, the relationships that we have with each other, the relationships that we have with the world around us, um, and put us in are constantly can constantly be putting us in positions where we get to decide what our relationship to the rules are. Yeah, definitely. Um, which is a useful, uh, like it's a useful tool for anarchists. Right. Definitely. Um, you know, in my life as a, as a game designer, you know, I think that I have an awareness that like peep somebody made up rules you know, they're not kind of ex nihilo, or they're not like natural law of some sort. They're not evident in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that, therefore, I know that rules can be changed, can be adapted, can mm-hmm. be, you know, to use like gamer words, they can be house ruled, they can be tabled, you know, whatever. Um, and and I think that, I think I probably agree with this sort of essay in that, I don't know that I would say everything is a, is a game or everything is play, Um and I'm not even sure that that would be the desired state, but maybe I'll maybe I'll mull on that for a while. But I think that if we can, I think that that oh, that's an alarm I set for myself long ago. 
I think that we can take play in games as a way of approaching the world when it is useful um, and when it is good and when it is sort of positive. Okay, so with that caveat out of the way, um, I do think that being aware of games and being aware of play, I think that A, play is can be very much at the heart of sort of non-hierarchy, and you can practice a lot of non-hierarchy um, through play. And then, just like you're saying, I think games allow us to sort of think about rules, structures of rules, and especially how we can change rules, even sort of ad hoc and, and non-hierarchically. Non, um, you know, I was thinking, so I work specifically in the world of like analog tabletop games, like things like Dungeons and Dragons, but in, in the bigger, broader, weirder world of games like that. And I think a lot of people, if you say, hey, like anarchy and games, in that world, they would turn to the world of what we call GMless games, i.e. games that don't have a facilitator or don't have one facilitator, rather the sort of facilitation and leadership position is distributed amongst the various players. And a lot of people I say, I think would say, hey, that's that's like anarchist gameplay, the sort of lack of a, of a leader. Because look, there's no, there's so no hierarchy there. Yeah. And I, I've been thinking about that, and I think there's a lot of fruitful discussion there. But I've also sure. been thinking about that I don't think that's the end of the story, because I think some people in game land think of the, like, the game master or the dungeon master or the facilitator as this like ontological change where like I have become a dungeon master. I am now a dungeon master. Like it's like they've become a priest. They've been inducted into the priesthood of dungeon masterhood, right? Um, and so and so they now have these like the, these holy new qualities about them. And I think that's totally wrong. I think that dungeon mastering or whatever you want to call it is just a set of skills, um, leadership skills. Um, um, skills that help you build consensus, storytelling skills, group facilitation skills, funny voice-making skills, all that, right? Um, and that these are just skills. And so I think that what's not anarchist in, say, a gaming group would be one person is always in charge, one person sets the tone, one person comes up with the script, and everybody else just follows them around their, their fantasy land, for right. example. But what I think could be anarchist in, in gameplay with you know, facilitators, and a lesson that could be taken into the broader world from games into sort of life from an anarchist perspective is these are all just skills and we can all learn them. And isn't it, isn't it good for the whole of the gaming group if we all are at least familiar with these skills, if we can share skills, if we can trade skills, teach each other, you know, bear the load at different times, right? So it's appropriate, you know, in a dance to have a dance caller. It's appropriate... Um, in a in a game to have a facilitator, as long as we avoid that kind of ontology thinking of oh they're the leader they're they're of the category of leader and say no 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 we're all able to do this we just agreed that our maximum fun right now is letting Grace be the be the sort of shot caller right now and then we get the sort of Grace experience and Grace brings her awesome suite of skills and you know maybe next week it'll be I'm in charge and I can bring my skills or maybe well, I don't want to do that but I really bring the play skill right. Is that making sense? I'm. I feel like no, I'm right. No, it's, it's it's absolutely making sense. I'm, and I, yeah. No, no. Go ahead. Finish your thought. Well, and I just think, um, you know, that's one way of reading into games that are not necessarily the kind a lot of people are making now, with a kind of maybe not explicitly anarchist, but a sort of people trying to get away from what they see as the hierarchy of that kind of play. Mm-hmm. 
and instead say, no, these other games also, if approached in this meta way, can have these qualities too. Or rather, we can transform these games into having these qualities right. if we simply bring a kind of non-hierarchical outlook to it. And, and, and especially a non a non priesthood of dungeon master kind of outlook to it. Okay, I like this. So, and one of the reasons that I like this is because I always attempt to make sure that we actually pay attention to the question and the questions that are posed in the yeah. question. And you have done quite a bit of that, which is making me very happy. <laughs> right. So, one of the questions is, what are, your pl- what are you playing? Did you ever stop? And somewhere in here, I feel like you're kind of saying, no, I haven't ever stopped. And also, of course, I have stopped. And that's what makes play awesome. Um, I think I'm following you, but will you, put, will you say a little bit more about what you just, that last point you just made? Um, that you don't necessarily think that anything can be a game and can be play and that not necessarily everything should which yes, I, 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 think, I think I hold to that position. Okay. Um, so I like that you have that answer. Um, <laughs> how anarchists can continue to play and interact in this time of crisis and has created social isolation and distancing. Um, you talked about the stuff that you're doing online. Um, that- yeah, well, here, let me, let, let, let me just tell you what's coming to mind right now, which is, um, uh, so... Yeah, and I would say that I'm one of those people who has done a good job in my, you know, um, personal life, in my professional life, even of keeping a kind of interest in games and play. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, my, along with being a game designer, I also work with kids sometimes. I'm sort of a, a play facilitator. I'm uh, something mm-hmm. like an artist mm-hmm. performer, thing like that. And so a lot of times, my job is literally working with kids and playing with them. I uh, a few weeks ago literally like put on a puppet show that was less of a puppet show I put on and more like, hey, kids, here's some puppets. Let's play puppets together and do a puppet show. You know, that's part of my life now. Um, I, I am very lucky in that I get to be paid to do stuff like that. So, um, yeah, play and games are a big part of my life. And I have, have, have kept that going. And I think that, as we've discussed, I bring some of those, some of those ideas into my um thinking about the way the world works and how the world should works. Mm-hmm. But here's something I've been thinking about just in the last few days, which okay. is that um, I really stopped playing video games. I you know, have not had the kind of income that's allowed me to stay with the, the latest releases and the latest systems and stuff like that. But um, you know, in the mid-90s when I was growing up and my mom got a kind of windfall for various reasons, we had a lot of video games and I played a lot of them around a, a childhood in my childhood. And I think what I figured out in just the last few days of getting back, you know, I just got on Twitch to sort of mess around there. I've been playing Minecraft with some random friends of mine, just as a way to sort of stay in touch. Right. Okay. Here's the thing that I'm remembering is that such a big part of when I was a kid playing video games, it was always in small groups. Mm. It was either multiplayer games where we were, you know, fighting each other or racing or whatever, but a lot, it was just watching other people play and comment Right? And that's a lot of okay. what Twitch is and various other things. And so in the last few days, as I've been trying to, to kind of meet up with people digitally because of the quarantine situation, I've been 
finding ways to bring video games back into my life, but also to bring this kind of social aspect into it. So it's not just me. Like I could just like sit in front of my TV and play a game by myself and that would be fine. And I could pass the time that way, but I'm having so much more fun playing with other people again and remembering that it's not all about like the graphics or even like the plot and the story. Sometimes it's just about like making stupid jokes with your friend. (laughs) So, so I, 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 as someone who has kept playing games really thoroughly, robustly important in my life during my whole life, there's even like ways that play, play itself is not some like monad of a thing, right? Play is a landscape of different kinds of experiences, solitary experiences, uh, collective experiences, small group experiences, right? And I think that that's what I'm kind of remembering over these last few days and that I'm really having fun with. I don't. I'm not really making a point here. Okay. Well, then I will say yeah. that what I the what I like about what you've said is that you have talked about um, actually lots of different ways that even though we can't be with people, we can still play games with people. Yeah, definitely. Um, and people m- actually might not know that. Um, there are... God damn it, the cat got loose. Okay. Three, two, one. Uh, okay, we took a pause there for a minute. Um... I, as I, uh, <laughs> as I, I've totally forgotten what I was going to say, but no, more, gonna, more importantly, I was, was going to say um, more, more importantly, you, a, way, a way to, let me just do one thought. My, my cat tossing, tossing my cat back in my roommate's room, the lesson for play, which is the play also teaches us to be ready for interruptions. I think <laughs> indeed <laughs> you know? it does actually, you know, um, so I, so I have two, two things. One is that, um, we, uh, there are there are lots of ways to play games online that mm-hmm. are not video games. You and I both um, uh, live and play and have worked in the world of, as you said, analog, tabletop games, role-playing games, Dungeons and Dragons, and it's children. And while I don't actually play Dungeons and Dragons, I play lots of other things. Yeah, yeah. And you can play these things online. You can find groups of people who are running games and be invited in and play with them. And people are always looking for more players, especially if you're going to actually show up. And I think this is something that's going to expand. So if you've ever been vaguely interested in any kind of role-playing game, and oh my God, even though Dungeons and Dragons is 92% of the market, they are only a scratch on the surface of what this world has to offer. Um, Mm -hmm. So there is that. Uh, so just because you're alone doesn't mean you have to be alone. Second, I liked the things that you said about a set of skills that everyone can learn and can have. So I am, uh, GMing the non D and D term for DMing. So I've uh-huh. been game mastering in the last two years. Uh, and that's, so that's very new for me. And Uh I have learned how to be light on my feet, 
be flexible, uh, be how to entirely restate a thing that I have already said because I was not clear at all when I thought I was perfectly clear and three people mm-hmm. were sitting in front of me going, what? Yeah, yeah. Um, I have learned how to slow down and be patient because I, when I am GMing, I like everyone at the table who wants to, to participate in telling the story. Mm-hmm. Not everyone moves as quickly as I do. Um, there's, and so there's a bunch of those skills that I genuinely believe make me a better anarchist. I go into a game knowing what I want, having a very clear plan and a clear, a, like a, like a, a clear set of intentions and know that I am almost immediately going to have to throw all of that away. Uh, and that feels like a metaphor for a whole bunch of things in terms of how an anarchist yeah, can deal yeah. with the real world and with state and with capital. Yeah, Definitely. Definitely. And I would just add to that, that right now, um, you'll find a lot of stuff that's like D&D for corporate uh, party building, D&D for team building, stuff like (laughs) that, right? And so I think people in the world have noticed that there's a lot of skills in role-playing games and in in these kinds of things. You know, those kinds of games are about communication and and groups, right? So of Mm -hmm. course they're very powerful, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think we should, as... uh, anarchists, we should note that and then sort of reject those models. I was talking to someone who who runs a little company where he does like that sort of thing. He brings in groups from jobs and they do it. And he said, told me that his job is basically being a snitch, being like, <laughs> hey boss, like this person lies a lot. This person does this, right? And I'm like, oh, wow, whoa, wow. you know? So we should we should recognize and then reject that and then think in, in different ways, how these skills can can um, empower people generally, not the boss, you know? Um, empower us. Agreed. Excellent. Well, thank you for your thoughts and your time, John. This is one of the oddest, yeah, so but also, I think, one of the best topic of the week I've ever done. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, well, I thanks hope, for inviting me. Hope you enjoyed it, Anarchy Land. Thanks for sticking through to the, man- to the end with me. It was kind of long. And yeah, have a good week. Bye. Bye. This week's podcast was sound edited by Greg. What's New is written and read by Chisel and Greg. No editorial this week. We thank Ariel and a friend for their help with the topic of the week, play in the time of Corona. To learn more anarchist and anti-political books, pamphlets, and other material will eventually again be available at littleblackheart.com. For news by and or about anarchists and up to the minute commentary, see you at anarchistnews.org and or the Anarchist News IRC chat room linked on (laughs) enews.